0: The following talk was given at St. Maximilian Colbe Catholic Church on Tuesday, January 30th as part of the Family Formation Program. In this talk, Alan Aber of Your Holy Family Ministries talks about family play. Our topic tonight is family play, and this is going to be, uh, you know, Danae's given some talks, I've given some talks. Tonight, we're both going to give a talk. I'm going to do the first part, and she's going to do the second part, and both parts of the talk are actually really fascinating, fairly fascinating. So family play, does that sound like something that we really ought to be talking about in a a church setting, in a spiritual setting? It's not the first thing you think of when you think of a holy family. You don't think of, oh, well, I'm going to be a holy family, we need to start playing more. At least that's not what comes to my mind. But it's so essential. So as I mentioned in the opening prayer, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that existed for six days. And on the sixth day, he said, it's all good. And the seventh day, he rested. there's a guy named Jeff Cavins who does some Bible study, and I absolutely love his stuff. Uh, He talked about that particular passage in Scripture as being the thing that separates us from the animals. He didn't tell the animals, now you need to rest. (laughs) He created man and woman... yeah, man and woman. And and he said, and on the seventh day you are to rest. And he gave that commandment to them. It's what separates us from the animals. If we always just work, we're working like a dog. Okay, yeah, we are no better than the animals if we do not take time out to recreate. So individually, we need it. We need it. I know a priest who... Uh, he was he was a brand-new baby priest, came to our parish, and we all just loved him. You know, doesn't everybody love baby priests? Yeah? You do? I mean, because... No, I wasn't thinking of you. Are you a baby priest? Okay, second year. So baby priests are fun. And in fact, our, our pastor, who's not a baby priest by far anymore, he says uh, when he was at his first parish... They all loved him. I mean, it was just so much fun. He says, I don't want them to put me back there because I would run into some of the same people and they would think I'm the same baby priest anyway. <laughs> he says, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that, that happy anymore. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thanks to come Father Ignatius. That is not the point of this. All right, so we had this baby priest, and we got to know him really well. And so we're pretty good friends with him. He knows all our kids. He's seen them kind of grow up. He spent a lot of time with us. And he got reassigned to a university, to Texas A&M. And so I ran into him, and I, I, I said, So, Father, how is it different than being in a parish? I mean, you were in our parish. It was so much fun. You got to know all these families. Now you're at a university. I mean, that's pretty different. I said, What are the challenges and what do you love about it? He says, gosh, it's the easiest job I've ever had. I said, well, why is that? He said, I just have to show up. He said, "It's, it's a ministry of presence. I'm like, huh, okay, ministry of presence. Tell me what that looks like. He said, I show up to the bar. We have a theology on tap. The kids come and they just visit with me. And that is my ministry of presence. That's what you do And I'm like Oh well, That's what we do With our kids It doesn't matter What we're doing We don't have to be drinking Because you know They're not They're not of age <laughs> Maybe one day When they are But you just show up It doesn't matter What you're doing So think about it When you have little kids And some of you Do have little kids What do they like To do with you Anyone with has got little kids What do they like to do What's color Okay Do you read books to them Do you read Like the, I mean, I've gotten to like three, four hundred books in their young age? Or do you stick with like two or three? And they just keep bringing the same one and they say, would you read this to me again? And you're like, Okay. And they know if you skip pages, yeah. They don't care what you do with them. They just want you present. My wife tells a story and I'll tell it for you since you're talking about other, other topics tonight. <laughs> that um, you know, she, she would, uh, you know, get a kid started playing with some game, uh, you know, some puzzle on the floor or it's just something, right? Whatever it was for little kids. And so you know, they'd be playing and having a good time, and she'd walk away to go put some dishes away or do something. And the kid would come over and get her and say, Mom, come back. She'd go back and sit right down, and the kid would go right back to just looking at the stuff playing. It was just enough that Mom was sitting there. Okay, so that's easy, little kids bigger kids. Is it as easy? Fish. Fishing. So you get creative. Fishing. So I've seen big kids, right? They, they get off into sports and they're starting to develop their own personality and they're teenagers. And I, I have this theory, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that it's, it's, it's accurate. It's, it's true. That um, little kids, when they come up and they repeatedly ask you to come do something with them, they have no fear of being rejected. Even if you tell them no, they'll go back and do whatever they want. Then they'll come back to you a few minutes later or the next day and they'll ask you again. And it's like you never said no. They'll just keep asking because they don't don't worry about being rejected. However, when they get about age 11 or 12, they become more self-aware and they start to worry that you're going to say no. And so they stop asking. They stop asking. So no matter what it is, that your kids are involved in, that they're excited about doing, even stuff they're not. Our kids play cards with us. Now, do they go play cards with their friends? Probably not, it's probably not what they would choose to do. Do they, uh, I don't know, they might play sports, you know, football or baseball or something like that. Um, They might not, I mean, we take our kids swing dancing, our older kids. We found a nice little place to do it. Uh, Here in Houston, you have a Cajun dance place. It's the Cajun music. Association. I think they're up, up somewhere in Green Greenway now, or Greens. They used to be over uh, next to Tidwell. We look for those types of things. Our kids didn't ask us to do dancing with them, but we said, well, why don't you come, let's, let's go dancing. Well, well, okay, we'll give it a try. We were just with them. So every year now, we do a all weekend swing dance party with our kids. I mean, it's, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and it goes until like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. Now, we're not dancing the whole time, Or we're with each other. We're not even with each other the whole time, but we're all there together doing something. So take it away from kind of activities and just look at games and how games are different. I'll let you talk about the specifics of how games are different, but any time that you spend, I would say, a gratuitous amount of time with your children, they remember that. They might not even remember exactly what you did, but just mom, dad, they were always there. You know, They came, I mean, think about the thing where, you always see it in movies, where a kid goes to, uh, you know, they have a, a band concert or a football game, and they're looking in the stands for mom or dad. You're not out there with them, but they're looking for you to see if you're, if you're there to support them. And we, when afterwards, and you say, hey, what are we going to do now? Are we just going to go home and that's it? Or do you go out for, you know, a little bite to eat? And just sit and talk. There's a reason why Jesus always ate meals with... I mean, it's in all of Scripture. I mean, it's, it's not just like, Jesus did all this and there's no f- meals talked about. Meals is a great time to talk. Cards are the same. You just don't have food in your mouth now. Oh, so what happens when that? When you're playing cards and you're learning how, how this kid is, is the one always doing the reverse on Uno. <laughs> you're like, haha, I see what you're like. Or they're always doing the skip, and then they get that smile on their face. "Ah, I skipped you. (laughs) I gave you the draw four. You get to learn their personalities. They get to learn your personality. And when when the cards are not completely consuming your mind and trying to figure out a strategy, they're going to talk about their day, about their friends. They might even ask you a question because you've made yourself vulnerable. You've said, I love you more than work more than my phone more than whatever else it is that might take your time so it's not quality of time that was a lie in the 70s in the divorce culture which was it's not the quality it's not the quantity of time it's the quality of time you spend with your kids that are no longer at home no it's quantity don't let anybody fool you. you it's like I talked about in the prayer talk when you when you meet your future spouse and you say, I love you, and then you don't see them for two weeks or three weeks or until the date of the marriage, are they going to believe you? If you don't spend time with your kids engaged in sometimes what they like, sometimes what you like, sometimes what you both like, they're not going to believe you when you tell them that you love them. And later on, they're going to ask and say, you're going to say, hey, come over for Thanksgiving. Let's get together. And they're going to go, no, I'm busy. I have other things to do. You have to nurture that relationship. And family play is an excellent way to do that. And it is indeed an essential way, which my wife's going to talk about.
1: All right, so here's the interesting thing. Just so you know, um, every time we give these little workshops and stuff, um, we don't always do them the same. We don't always have the same talk. We kind of let the Holy Spirit guide us. So just so you know, last... No, the night before last. I was thinking about coming here and thinking about, you know, the talk we've given before on play. And for whatever reason, God brought me to a website that I didn't know anything about until two days ago. And it's fascinating. So this is what I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about the science. What does science say about play? Oh, so there's a psychiatrist named Dr. Stuart Brown, who founded, get this, the National Institute of Play. Because apparently our culture needs it. Apparently we're not doing enough playing. And what they mean by that is that they have found through research that people who do horrendous things, something that is in common with them is that they don't recreate. They don't spend time in prayer. And when you have a deficit of, per, of relaxation, play, rejuvenation, you end up falling into the depravities of life. You you become depressed. You have anxieties. You have behaviors that are um, escape mechanisms. You fall into drugs, alcohol, binge eating, binge, binge watching, whatever. I mean, if you're not spending time rejuvenating, playing, recreating, your physical self will deteriorate. And so the science research says we need it as much as we need the air to breathe and our culture is lacking it just by looking at what's going on out there. So what is play? Play is defined as engaging in an activity for enjoyment and recreation. It's purposeless. It's voluntary. It's inherent, there's an inherent attraction to it. You, you have this attraction to play and it's a freedom from time. We don't care about time when we're recreating. We, 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 Forget about time and we're in that moment, we're present in that moment. There's no practical purpose. However, there's an unrealized advantage to play. Play is about rest and rejuvenation. It shapes our brain. It fosters joy, creativity, and innovation. It is essential to our health, essential, essential to our health to spend time in prayer. It promotes a sense of belonging and community. And this is what we're trying to do in our families. We want to form a sense of belonging and community. It's what will help bind us together. When we create these memories that we talked about, it it brings us joy when we think of those memories, but it also unites us. You know, when you have a sibling you can share, oh, remember that time. And it's like this instant bond, this instant connection because you you've done something together. Same thing with old friends. you know, when you get together with an old friend, you share these memories, it, it it binds you. And so there's this sense of belonging and community. There's also a sociologist named Dr. Breen Brown, who's actually here in the Houston area, and uh, she writes, to rest and play does not mean that you are lazy or weak or unproductive, because this is one of the lies that our culture tells us. Our culture tells us that you have to constantly be working, you have to constantly be producing, and that is how you are valued by what you do, um, but um, it's not true. What it means when you play is that you value your health and you want to take care of yourself and the experience, you want to experience the present. You want to be present to what's going on now. So play um, cultivates, to cultivate play involves being actively engaged. And so this whole point of actively engaged, so play doesn't necessarily mean let's get the family together and watch a movie or watch TV because that's very passive. There's not an active engagement. There's a place for that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that is all you're doing together as a family, you're not engaging. You're not finding out about one another. You're not building those kind of memories. So be careful. Of those types of activities there's a place for them but it can't be the only kind of activity that you do as a family you have to be actively engaged if you want to actually fit under this category of playing Um, learn how to put your distractions away and be present well what does that mean in our culture turn off the television put away the phone I remember a time when we were growing up and you'd be sitting down at the dinner table and the phone rang and you were not allowed to answer it because dinner time is sacred. Well, the same thing should happen in play. Our play time should be sacred. We set that aside and we say no, we're going to be present to our family. So do whatever you have to do. Put it on vibrate, put it in another room. Choose to return those calls later because your children need you and you need it too. We all need to unplug from the world to be with the people that are in our lives in that moment. Our culture needs to see the value and return to playing together. Play helps to preserve and refuel what you need in order to keep your creativity and productivity flowing. A person who takes time to recreate and rejuvenate or play, enjoy something, become more productive. They become more satisfied and they accomplish more when they're living this way. A neglect of play leads to I kind of talked about this a little bit, an overload which promotes the body to seek the avoidance behaviors and can lead to depression, anxiety, and a sense of dissatisfaction in life. Bringing play into our relationships can help enhance our connections and bring us closer. We talked about that um, belonging and community. It brings us closer. It affects our mood in a positive way. We have a feeling of satisfaction and the sense of enjoyment. And here's the interesting scientific study. So they studied infants, and they looked at the brain of an, how an infant would react in the presence of their mother or a nurturing parent. And they discovered that the part of the brain that is stimulated in that moment is the same part of the brain that you're stimulating when you play and you recreate and you rest. So when an infant and a parent, a nurturing and loving parent, encounter one another, there's an, this immediate radiation of contagious mutual joy. We always, we've all seen it. We've all experienced it. When you have this baby and you're trying to interact with him, it's just instant joy. When we recreate, we're always trying to go back to that place. We're always trying to recreate that environment in ourselves. Like that, that's the basis of what gets imprinted in our brain of this intimate union that brings fulfillment and joy, that intimacy. So the capacity for intimacy involves reassessing this state. So if it's lacking in the beginning, how much more difficult it is to even get to that place. So it's That's just part of how important it is, those initial bonds of infancy. Um, Nourishing, playful communication interactions produce a climate for easy connection. It's deepening and more rewarding to the relationships being built. It creates a true intimacy when you're recreating together and you're engaging with one another. It creates intimacy. Without playfulness, there will be insufficient vitality left over to keep a relationship buoyant and satisfying. If we never recreate together, the relationship becomes stagnant and stale and starts to diminish. And I think, just like Alan said, that whole theory of you know those teenagers, when they become teenagers, if you're not continually being involved with them, that relationship becomes unsatisfying And when they get out, they don't want to come back to that relationship that was unsatisfying when they were living there. Why would they want to come back if they have no satisfactory relationship with you? It's very difficult to recreate it if you didn't create it from the beginning. So Dr. Leonard Sachs states that having fun together is one foundation of authentic parenting. It's our duty to do this, to create that role as a parent. Kids won't value time with you above time with their same age peers, if they rarely spend any time with you doing fun stuff. So it's part of parenting, creating fun things to do together, to create the whole person of our child and ultimately binding our family together. So some of the solutions, schedule vacations just for the family, schedule rituals such as a weekly parent-child outing, prioritize your extended family and your close adult friends, Fight for time with your children, cancel or forego after school activities if need be. You need to enjoy time you spend with your child and it's not just quality, it's a significant amount of time, it's quantity of time with our children. If we do not do this, we send an unintended message. We send the message that relaxed time together as a family is the lowest priority of all. And the key to lasting happiness is contentment. Without time for rest and recreation, we become dissatisfied. Play helps us say it is more important who you are, not what you do. Our society says our worth is based on what we do and what we accomplish, and that's a lie. It's it's a lie. It's who we are that's most important, being a child of God. You know, God has a purpose for you. It helps us teach the meaning of life. Christ teaches us that it is all about relationships. Play enables us to learn how to love. By giving of our time and engaging as a family, we are building the culture of love that John Paul II talks about in Familiaris Consortio. And he continually repeats, families, be who you are. We are called to be in community with those that are closest living to us. I remember a story so fondly of a, um, our spiritual director, priest. he talks about visiting homes from families that he knows and going into one home and the family is is um, it doesn't have a lot of money, they're kind of poor, but there, there's so much life and vitality in the room. They're all together and they're happy. And then he goes into a home where the family is very wealthy and everybody's in their own separate spaces. They're not connecting with each other. There's no relationship. And he's like, he he found it fascinating that these two diametrically opposed situations were happening because he's like, you know, over here where you would think they have so much to be unhappy about, but they get that relationship. So it's almost like, as we can say, sometimes our struggles are actually our gifts from God. And we found that in our own family life. When God puts us into difficulties and struggles in our life, it brings us closer together and we pray together for that struggle. We bind ourselves together because we're going through some difficulty together. It can be a gift. And when we are not struggling, there's, a, a, it's a bigger calling on us to work harder to make sure we're staying connected and keeping the things that are important on the top of the list. It's easy to forget when everything's going well that, oh my gosh, we haven't even sat down and had a family meal this week but when you're struggling, you tend to gravitate more towards one another. So family, pray has, family play has to be one of those priorities. It just kind of fits in there and it can easily be fallen by the wayside and it's not something that I'm going to do when I get to it. It's something that I'm going to schedule and put on the calendar just like your prayer life. It's something that you schedule. Yeah. Any questions? Yes.
0: So what do you do with the child that loves the game until they start losing. Them.
1: Character development. Hey, you know that God has to deal with that with us like that sometimes too, right? You don't quit. You don't quit teaching even if it takes ten years.
2: You don't quit teaching.
1: So I, I would say really, um, it, it has a lot to do with sharing our own experiences when we failed. If we never share our failures with kids and how we've overcome them, if they only see us succeeding, they won't know how to deal with failure when they experience it. So that teachable moment has to do with a little bit of vulnerability rather than just tell, tell, tell. It's like, let yourself lose. You lose and model how you behave when you lose. And that's part of it.
0: Or you let them win
1: but not all the time. <laughs> we,
0: we, we, have, we have people that we right. uh, play, play games with, other adults, and some of them are a little tougher losers, losers than others. <laughs> and and as, as we continue to have these, you know, to build the relationship, they, they don't take it out on us as much because they love us more than they love the game. And I guess that's what it is. So if you have a, a, a child or even an adult child that is a sore loser and you can't play a game with them because you're worried about winning, Just keep doing it, and eventually, they'll they'll realize that maybe they love you more than they love winning the game. And uh, I I guess I've I've sort of seen that, Um, but yeah, there's I mean, sore losers are tough.
2: (laughs) (laughs) She has a question. Um, I remember um, my brother and the kids they used to play, and this one boy, he will cry every, every, every game, because he if he didn't win, it would be somebody else, he would be crying, anybody else would win, but it was a big cry, he would hit the table and go away and come back and say, why didn't I win, and cry and cry, and now that we started playing with our boy, and I was so afraid of that, I was afraid of because uh-huh. I, I thought, all kids react the same way. And so we start playing, and he lost, and he was surprised because it was not a big deal. He said, okay, let's do it again. And so he tried to win that time, but he knew that it it, it possible he was not gonna win again. So he goes, okay, let's do it again. And then I win, and then he wins, and I'm happy because I win. And I said, I am happy when I win, too. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I said, it's all about playing, Mm you know. Sometimes you win, I'll win, I'll win, but we we're all happy, you know? And so I was, I was, I was traumatized by my name. Yay! And <laughs> all kids cry because of that.
1: And then you have to always also teach, this is not an appropriate reaction to the situation. And then you can give, you know, what is an appropriate? Well, if you get so upset that you can't control your emotions, maybe you need to walk away. You know, giving them behaviors that they can to to deal with their emotions. It's It's all about, you know, Setting the parameters, you know, cause like even in the real world, if you do something wrong, you can't punch the cop. You just can't do it, even if you're that angry. You know, so there's always parameters.
2: <laughs> I kind of thought that as a good opportunity to tell that to my kids. I said, in the world you will you're not always be the winner.
1: That's so, right. You know
2: there are times when you will lose in general life. I said, so this is just a game. And so be prepared because, you know, not always you will right. be the winner. Okay. So I don't know if it was the right thing to say, but
0: <laughs> it's, it's true. true. Were there any other questions or observations you would like to share with the group? Yes? How do
2: we, okay, how do I get my spouse involved in play? Because it's usually just myself and their
0: kids. Talk to your spouse about it. Um, I mean, it's, It's a a challenge, right? It's the same question with with family prayer. It's the same question in all of family. If you have a spouse that doesn't want to be involved in in one or more aspects of family life, then that's a uh, opportunity for marital growth. Um, Because it can only benefit your marriage to have your husband involved in that. Yeah, Uh, and so it's not an easy answer. Um, But it also, what we've seen, even with kids that don't want to play, is you go and have fun. And the other person who doesn't want to participate may actually at some point go, they're really having too much fun over there. I think I'm going to go and get involved. And again, I don't know dynamics in everyone's home, but that can happen. And sometimes it's just, you know, I I don't want to do it. And I mean, my father-in-law hated games, absolutely hated them. Um, he would not play any game. He's a perfectionist. I think he wanted to win every time and his way of maybe not getting upset. I don't know. I don't know exactly the reason. My wife might go, But he wouldn't do it. But yet he would take my kids and me, if I wanted to go, bike riding. And we'd go to the dunes and ride bikes all over the dunes and do jumps. And that was, that was, that was a different type of play. So perhaps you find something that would actually appeal to the person who doesn't want to as a way to kind of get in and say, well, hey, we did all that. And you don't even have to say it sometimes. It's like, but hey, maybe next time we'll do this one because I really like that. And again, once you've built that relationship in that area of play, maybe not playing something you wanted to play but something they wanted to play, um, it may transfer to another place and they would say, well, I'll go ahead and play this because I just love being with you. Um, So maybe maybe that'll help.
1: but I would definitely um, say finding out if you know what your husband's interests are and what he would enjoy doing, trying to select that activity might be more appealing to him. And it's not always the activity. Sometimes it's like the time that you're choosing. If you're choosing a time to play when they are just so busy with work or so busy with something, you know, it, it, it goes, there's, there's both parts. It's like, what are you doing and when are you doing it? And so having that marital discussion about, hey, I'd really like to be able to do something as a family, when would be a good time for you, what would you like to do, those things can help. But it may or may not solve it, because everybody's an individual and they still have choices.
0: Yes. And, and then, wouldn't you also then see that enjoyment of transfer to, to the child? Absolutely. They, they see the parent, even if it's something the kid wouldn't want to do, no matter, you know, depending on the age, they see the enjoyment of the parent. They, sure. They gravitate to that. Right. Well, I mean, it, Joy is, is contagious, is, is contagious right. right? Yeah, I love that contagious mutual
1: mm-hmm. joy. Right, yeah. right. And that's the place we're always trying to get back to. Isn't that interesting? Like, we're always trying to get back to something yeah. that we innately know from our infancy.
0: And Pope Francis, I mean, one of his quotes that's just kind of stuck with me is, uh, and I can't, I can't give an exact quote, and he probably wouldn't want me to give an exact, but what he said was, um, who would want to go and join a church that feels like you're going to a funeral? Right. And who would want to join a family that looks like they're going to a funeral? He calls us to joy. I mean, what, his first encyclical was the joy, joy of the gospel. And he picked joy because that's, I mean, if you could say one thing about Pope Francis, that's what he wants. He wants people to be happy and to be engaged, and he doesn't want people walking around like they're going to a funeral. And our families should be the same way. We want people to, uh, um, we want want other families and even maybe other members of our family to look at our family and go, I want to be a part of that. That's fun. Doesn't mean you're always playing, but you've got that joy. And family play goes a long way to make you a family that is joy-filled. Thank you for listening. For more information on Your Holy Family Ministries, please visit yourholyfamily.org.